0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to talk about uh, the outrage, justifiable outrage, of course, that uh, many Canadians, uh, hopefully all Canadians, are feeling uh, toward the gruesome discovery in Kamloops Residential School, a uh, mass gravesite. 215 bodies, of remains of, of children, uh, some as young as three years of age. Uh, and. The outcry here has has been loud and hopefully is going to resonate right across the country, asking uh, our elected leaders to do something about this. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, of course, has reacted to this. He says he was appalled at hearing of the discovery of the 215 Indigenous children's bodies found on the grounds of the residential school in British Columbia. These were children who deserved to be happy, most of all. They deserved to be safe. As a dad, I can't imagine what it
1: would feel like to have my kids taken away from me. And as Prime Minister, I am appalled by the shameful policy that stole Indigenous children from their
0: communities. It it is unfathomable for for parents uh, to to, to know that this went on with other parents, uh, with government sanction, with church sanctions time and time again. Joining us to talk about this is Shirley Williams, a professor emeritus at the Cheney Wenjak School of Indigenous Studies at uh, Trent University. Professor, thank you so much for the time. It's a pleasure to have you on the program today.
1: Oh, thank you very much.
0: How did you react, and and what kind of emotions were you feeling uh, when you heard the news about the discovery in Kamloops?
1: You know, it it really surprised me, because I was on um, a family retreat this weekend. So there was no TV, no nothing, no news. So I came home late Sunday night, and I woke up to this uh, news yesterday morning. So uh, it... uh, it shocked me um, in such a way we knew a long time ago there were some children that were missing, that there was uh, the whole church was still lurking was about. <clears throat> and uh, when I first uh, heard it on TV, when I got up yesterday, I turned the TV on. That's when I first uh, heard it. Uh, you know it had been told on Friday which I didn't know uh, but um a lot of things happened at first it was I was okay and then as the day went on I suddenly had flashbacks
0: of, of so, reminding reminding you of your experiences
1: reminding me of my experiences yeah
0: uh, you, you wrote a poem, and, and uh, thankfully I've got uh, some lines of it here. Uh, Today I Took, it's called, and uh, it's, a, it's rather lengthy, but there's one segment here I just want to share with our listeners if I could, Shirley, and then I want to ask you about this. Uh, you talk about it in its fashion. It says, the loneliness set in for no one to hold us, no one to say it's okay, but only to hear be quiet or I'll come there and give you something to really sniffle about since I only wanted somebody to tell me it's okay, but no, except for an angry voice. And it, it I think, is a very vivid descriptor of, of exactly what was going through your mind. Maybe if, if you don't mind sharing some of your story with us, uh, Shirley, how old were you when, when you were taken to the residential school that you had to, to attend?
1: You know, I think my father, when I reflect back now, I think my father was very smart. Uh, the priest came to, uh, and the Indonesian came when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And that uh, they were going to enroll me then to for my education. And my, I remember my father being so angry that he hit the table, <clears throat> and my mother, being a hostess, gave uh, him tea. And the tea spilled. He hit the table so hard that the tea spilled onto the table, and the the still were there saying that he was he was not willing to to uh, send me to the school you're not taking my daughter on until she's 10 now I didn't know English then but I knew he was very angry and it was only the next morning for breakfast that he told my mother uh, that he wanted to keep one of his daughters at home until she was 10 and that was me and um, because he said all the others are coming back not wanting to learn about or continue to learn about our culture. They don't want to speak the language. Therefore, I want to keep one of our daughters who will carry that on. Hopefully, he said. So that was the message that I got. But he said it in a language so that I could understand why he was so angry the day before when the priest came. The only thing that he, I remember him also saying the only reason why they believed me, he says to my mother, is that I promised them that I would teach her the catechism and I would homeschool her. The only thing he says, ha ha ha, he says, the only thing I didn't tell him, he says, I didn't tell him that I was uh, not going to do it in English, but I was going to do it in the language.
0: So you you, you, you you had to fool them, basically, to get it. What, what what some people, I guess, would describe as a stay of execution. You got to stay at home for a while anyway.
1: Yes, I got to stay home from seven till, until 10 years old. So he didn't let me um, go until I was 10 years old. But I, I sort of paid a high price for that, right? because everybody thought I was stupid, that there was something wrong with me, because I was 10 years old for grade one.
0: So you started in the same spot you would have started at seven, notwithstanding the fact that you were three years older and that you had some education. They they didn't acknowledge any of that.
1: No, they didn't acknowledge. Um, you know, they taught me everything, uh, not in English or anything. What they taught me was about the culture. They taught me about the plants and trees and medicines and um, all kinds of things. If you ever read a book of, um, called trolley which is at thegoodminds.com in Brantford. I wrote the first book about my life in my early childhood. And the reason why I wrote that book was my nieces and nephews were were always coming to me, asking me, what was it like in a residential school? What was it like before you went to residential school? So I wrote that story. It's before entering the... the, uh, Residential school. Right now, I'm on Chapter 9 for the duration of uh, going to Residential
0: School. Were you scared when you went there?
1: Well, yes, I was scared because I was alone, but uh, my sisters already prepared me as to what I would encounter and what they were going to do,
0: Yeah. We've heard so many stories, Shirley, and I know you can relate to them in the, in the book, uh, that of the treatment of of the way that, that you as as a well, I hate even a student because you were basically there to be indoctrinated uh, into North American society. I mean, they didn't want you to know your culture, they didn't want you to know your language. They wanted you uh, to to be an advocate for their faith and for their language, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it had to be extremely intimidating and, and frightening for you on a daily basis.
1: Oh yeah. You know, for a long time after I came out, I was wondering, um, I had to, uh, I was always listening to somebody who would be walking behind me or um, just paying attention to different things. And I was always listening to the bell. Um, when, I went, when I finished, when I got out when I was 16, which is what I call liberation, I had told my parents that I would help them. I didn't want to go back to their school. Because not because of education, it was because of the treatment. So when I um, was staying at home, I said I would help my mother. So the first day that I stayed home, my mother was working and she was doing her craft work and sewing. Uh, craft work she sold um, th- at the store so that she could get money so we could buy food. And, uh, you know, she was expecting me to help But I didn't know um, why. I sat beside her, just watching her, and all of a sudden she said, Shirley, he says, why are you sitting here? And I thought, yeah, why am I sitting here? And he says, you know, Shirley, he said, she said, there are so many things that we can do as women. Enough daylight in a day for us women to do all of the things that we need to do. He says, "Just look around." And that's all she said. She didn't get mad because I was sitting there and not doing anything. So I sat there looking around. And I thought, "Oh yeah, I could wash floor. I could get water. Um, you know, to wash dishes. I could haul water to do clothes and things like that." I began to think ahead of time, what I could do, but I wasn't moving. And it took me three nights to evaluate why I was sitting there not doing anything. And what I came up with, I was waiting for her to ring the bell so that I can move to do the things, you know, to do the things that I was supposed to.
0: As you were Just trained like to do at the um, school.
1: Yeah. yeah Respond to the bell. Yep. Yeah. The, the bell always rang for us to do things. When to move, when to get up, when to kneel, when to pray. Uh, that bell really, really um, almost destroyed me, you know, because uh, I I was waiting for it. It took me a long time to to find out why the bell was so, so important to the nuns. And the reason why I came, I, I found the answer when I saw the film when the Oh uh, when they uh, st mary's uh, bell when st mary bell rings or something like that mm-hmm. it's a film uh, it's an old film and it's about the um the nuns and the and the priests and things like that this is where i found out why the bell was so important to them the bell was to call the souls of the people you know, new uh, but you were trained
0: to almost a Pavlovian response there. The only th- you had to wait for the bell to do almost anything.
1: Yep, that's right.
0: How do you, how do you deal with that now? And, and, and especially in light of what we just heard about Kamloops, I mean, uh, the two hundred and fifteen—the remains of two hundred and fifteen small children. Uh, the, the questions that need to be asked here surely are questions I'm sure were, were in your mind for many, many years. Uh, you know, why did this happen? Uh, how did these people die? We don't know. We know nothing about what went on behind these doors, do we?
1: No, we don't know. Um probably from sickness or, uh, you know, there was a uh, Spanish flu that went in uh, mm-hmm, that's early right. 1900. And, and um, you know, the, some kids were punished, uh, you know, severely punished, and they probably died. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know. how. You know, yep. uh, there's some truth in that, because uh, sometimes you would see children... Uh, being strapped so so hard, and then uh, they would be sent to bed, and then we wouldn't see them. Uh, we would be off to school when the bell would ring, and then we'd leave that uh, that child in the or a girl, and we wouldn't see that girl again. And they would say, "Well, they took her to the hospital." That's all they said. We never knew, you know, what happened to that girl.
0: Well, there are stories, as you know, of course, uh, from many of these schools of, of physical and sexual abuse, malnutrition, disease, as you mentioned, was common. Uh, there's a, a, a cry now from a, a number of First Nations uh, leaders, uh, Shirley, uh, to investigate the grounds of all of these schools, where these schools once were, uh, and using maybe the same you know, ground-penetrating uh, radar uh, to try to identify if there are, are more remains in uh, these other facilities. Uh, do you support that idea?
1: Yes, I do. I think all the skills should be um should be investigated because probably uh there's been a lot of things going on um you know they had bodies even though there are nuns and priests and things like that you know uh, they did things that uh, that were not that were not proper
0: how do you feel now are you, are you uh, this, this this is making you relive this whole thing again isn't it
1: I'm reliving reliving the whole thing again.
0: I do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this. I know how difficult it is to to, to conjure up these memories again. They probably never left you, but I mean, to, to bring back the, the feelings, the angst that you were feeling, the, the fear that you were feeling uh, for so many years. And uh, sadly, there's there's more to be told about this story, I'm sure. Uh, we, we want our, our elected leaders to respond to this, and we want uh, to ensure that the truth gets out about exactly what happened, don't we? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know and that uh, we got to do a lot of healing, and uh, the um, non-native people, the history has to be told mm-hmm. exactly as it may be. We have to tell these stories. What I've been hearing is, "Oh, get over it." You know, when well, we psychologically, it had an impact on on native children, on a human being. It could be any kind of human being. You know, it it doesn't leave uh, a person until there is healing or some kind of uh, restitution to make that person uh, become whole again. For me, I had to learn a lot of things to go and get that child that I left at residential school. Even way after, you know, I I grew and got married and things like that. um, I had to... I knew no one was coming to rescue me or to restore me, and i had to I had to do that myself. I went back to school, but I didn't know why I went back to school, and that was for me to take um to study myself, you know why I was feeling uh-huh. so bad why I was uh being called squaw, you know good for nothing, just for good for one thing. You know, why is that? So um, I went back to school and I took psychology to try and learn about the residential schools and the asylums and institutions. So uh, the psychology really helped me to understand the, why, why I was feeling like that.
0: Surely we're, what I we're, had to do. we're just about out of time here. I Thank you so very much for this. Uh, and thank you for spending some time and explaining to us, I think, As you mentioned, the healing is so important here, but the healing can't begin until the truth comes out, and we have to make sure that that does. Uh, Please take care of yourself, and uh, thank you again for this. It was a pleasure having you on the program.
1: Okay, thank you very much.
0: That's uh, Professor Shirley Williams, of course, Emeritus Professor at the Cheney-Wenjack School of Indigenous Studies at Trent University and also a survivor of a residential school scenario nightmare i guess is maybe more to the case the bill kelly show weekdays from nine to noon on 900 chml